The contents of this podcast are provided for general information and educational purposes only and do not constitute investment, accounting, legal, tax or other professional advice. Welcome to the Money Magnet Podcast, helping you attract and keep a fortune that counts with co-hosts self-made money magnet Steve McKnight and esteemed journalist Rowan Wen. Hi everyone, I hope you're hungry because today is all about cooking, isn't it Steve? Cooking? Rowan, have you got the oven going? Because I love cookies. No, I don't have the oven going. I love cookies. Do you like cookies? No, not really. What? Sugar. I try to avoid it. That's the secret, sugar. All right. Chock chip. They just... I like chock chip cookies. If anyone's listening and thinks, oh, they want to impress Steve, Steve can always be bought with chock chip cookies. But the recipe today we're talking about is not about cookies. It's about getting rich, isn't it? I'd rather talk about cookies. But yes, the the recipe for getting rich. Crumbs. Crumbs. Keep going. Dad jokes. And it's a simple recipe because there's only three ingredients, right? Right. What are they? They are capital, return, and time. Capital, return, and time. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's discuss these. Capital, we'll start with that. Yep. That's your deployed savings. So savings are a result of your income less your expenses. And of course, the more savings you have, the better the more the merrier, especially if you can deploy them to make the most money in the quickest time for the least risk and lowest aggravation. Remember, say yes to carrots. Got it. So that's the stuff that's left over, which is paid your bills and everything else is gone. This is the money that's left. That's your savings. And capital can also be the money that you've borrowed from other people that you deploy in your investing circumstance. So what's return? Return is the profit that you get back on the capital that you've deployed. For instance, buy an investment property, it's the rent less the expenses. You buy some shares, it's the dividend. If you invest in fixed interest, it is the interest return you get on your money. So how risky is returns? Is there a correlation? There absolutely is a relationship between risk and return, but let's just park that for a sec because that's a longer conversation. Let's talk about Time. Time. It's about time we talked about time. I was about to go exactly there. We are two old men. Two dads with dad jokes. Okay, so talked about time. It's the most important of all because it allows you to take advantage of compounding. So the longer, the better. And that's the ingredients. All right, so that's the ingredients, but what's the method? How do we make the cake? Yeah, so it's one thing to have the right ingredients. It's an absolute different thing to make sure you put them together in the right order because like any sort of recipe, if you put them in the wrong order, it can taste entirely different. So this is all outlined in Chapter 23, but... Of Money Magnet, your book. The method is capital multiplied by return to the power of time. Got it. Capital Mm -hmm. multiplied by return to the power of time. So how does that work exactly? As an investor, the goal's threefold. You want to have more capital. Yep. You want to access a higher return, and you want as long as you possibly can for the compounding periods. Okay, so the time really does give you the benefit at the end, yeah? Yep. So increasing capital is about income minus expenses, Y minus E, so more income and- More money left over, basically. Less expenses. Got it. Compounding periods is about time and the number of compounding events per period. So instead of getting paid once per annum, if you could get paid monthly or 12 times, you'll get slightly better ahead. And return is all about getting paid for risk. And this is an important point because sometimes people take risks without being paid for it. And when you do that, that tends to be more speculating than it is investing. All right. So let's talk about that. Why is there this correlation between risk and return? Yeah. Well, what's the relationship? Because risk, when you define it, is the potential of financial loss, losing your capital if the value of your investment fails or falls. Got it. So there's no guarantee you're going to make money and you might lose your money. But there's another side to risk, Row, that sometimes people don't understand, and that's not maximising your capital. 
Correct. So sometimes doing nothing is a risk as well. Yeah, because you risk getting a better outcome by being happy with a worse outcome. As I say all the time, if you don't try, you get a fail, right? Yeah. If you don't try something, you've already lost because you didn't even get to the outcome you wanted. You've got $100,000 in the bank and you go, oh, I don't want to take a risk. Well, the risk is you're missing out on what you could do with that $100,000 in the bank. Lost opportunities. So by playing it safe, you might actually be risking a financial loss of the money that you're not otherwise. So it's about getting the the balance right between risk and reward, yeah? Hmm, It's the Goldilocks and Three Bears story. You don't want too much. You don't want too little. You want just right. And that's because the act of investing is getting the ratio of return to risk just right or suitable for the risk tolerance of the investor, their life circumstance, and also the investment opportunity. Okay, so break that down for me. What do you mean? There's a lot to think about there. Investing is about making the most money in the quickest time for the least risk and lowest aggravation. So that's output, right? Yep. Most money, quickest time, least risk, lowest aggravation. is all about the profit that you make. But you also have to look at the inputs. And the inputs are an investor's amount of money that they've got to invest, borrowing ability, the time they have available, the skill that they have, and their risk tolerance or risk threshold or amount of passivity, which means whether they can be active or passive with the investment, that they can contribute to this circumstance. All right. So that's a bit of detail. Can you give us some examples? Yeah. Let's look at young people versus old people. So a young person has more time up their sleeve all going well. So they've got the T factor. Yeah. Or they've got the T factor. Whereas an old person has less time available and also because they're older, they can't have the same risk threshold because if they lose their money, they don't have the same runway to be able to make it back. So typically a financial planner would say to an older person, you need to buy safer assets and safer assets will have a higher or lower return, do you think? Lower. A lower return. That's why a younger person can be more aggressive and take on higher risk assets plus benefit from time. Okay, what about risk aggressive as opposed to risk averse? Yeah, well, some people may have had a family member who have gone, oh, don't risk your money, or they're just naturally risk averse. Yeah. And other people may have had a family member who's quite aggressive when it comes to taking risks and made a fortune, possibly lost a fortune or however it might be. So a risk aggressive person is willing to take more risks than a risk averse person. And everyone has a different level of how risk aggressive or risk averse they are. And there's also skilled and unskilled too, the other categories, yeah? Yeah. So the last one to talk about at least today is someone who's skilled and someone who's unskilled. And when we talk about someone who's unskilled in a financial literacy perspective or point, what we're saying is those people will typically go to an advisor and the advisor will tell them how to invest. So not only do they have to pay for the advisor, the quality of their investment is determined by the quality of advice. So the truth is to be skilled, right? Well, if you have a mindset and a desire to want to be skilled, you'll always be able to make better investing decisions because you're relying on your own skill. And that's what I did. I, when I was a young person, adopted a so-called risk-aggressive approach and invested in my skills to be able to get a higher return without taking a higher risk. And so by skilling up, you reduce the risk. I always said the antidote to risk is skill. So if you want to be able to access a higher return without taking on that higher risk, the way to dial down that risk is to increase your skill. And the example that I've used for years and years and years is a racing car. If we put you behind the wheel of a Formula One car and said, go as fast as you can around the track, if you're not trained in how to drive a car, you're probably going to stack it and hurt yourself. Totally, yeah. Same with finances. If you get into some 
Formula One type investment vehicles and drive them fast around the track or invest in a Formula One that someone else is driving that they don't know how to drive, it's likely to crash and burn. Yep. So if you can get skilled in what you plan to invest in first and not just trust the advisor, a little bit of skill can help you to make sure you're making an astute decision. Can you give us an example, like a real world example? Yes, absolutely. You have one. I have one. Here's one I prepared earlier. Here's one I prepared earlier. Just like cooking. Top of my memory, because I've only been working on this recently. So this new fund that I've set up, the Strategic Opportunities Growth and Income Fund, is buying commercial property right now. We're deploying the capital that we've raised. Yep. And one of the assets that we're looking at purchasing is a Mazda dealership. Now, not the car dealership itself, but the land and buildings that the Mazda dealership is on. And can I tell you the parameters of the deal? Please. Right. First of all, the purchase price is $7,200,000. Yep. And that, for a lot of people, would be like, wow, I don't have $7.2 million of money that I couldn't invest in a single asset. And that in itself is a problem because it locks them out of that opportunity. Now, what's interesting about this particular property is that there is a 10-year lease to the Mazda dealership Mm -hmm. and the tenant is an international listed company. So a very good tenant and a very long lease. So now all of a sudden it's like, well, I'd love to be involved in this opportunity, but I can't because I'm locked out because the dollar entry price is so high. But the return is not great. It's good, but it's not great. 6.25%. Now, people say, well, Steve, I can get 5.5% just leaving my money in the bank. So why would I take 6.25 when I can get 5.5 by just interest? Yep. And the answer is the upside from capital growth. You're going to get a little bit more plus the upside from capital growth. So So the value of the property will go up. Yes. And how is the value of the property going to go up? Well, let me explain. Let's imagine that... There's a 3% increase in rent each year. Okay. So in 10 years' time, because it's a 10-year lease, the rent will be how much higher than it is right now? 30%. 30%. Yeah. And so with the rent being 30% higher, applying the same purchase yield of 6.25%, we can do the purchase price of 7.2 million times 6.25%. Yep. Right? Times... 1.03 to the power of 10, which is 10 years of compounding the rent. Got it. To work out what the future value of this property is going to be. So you're going to get the income at 6.25% and according to investing theory, you're also going to get capital growth. But here's the kicker, right? Yeah, okay. That 10 years of income at 6.25% means 62.5% of the purchase price is going to come back to you as rent. Wow, that's pretty good. Well, it means that only 37.5% of what you pay is for the land and buildings. And if the land and buildings are inherently worth more than 37.5% of the purchase price, you're You're buying a good investment. Totally. It makes sense. Now, once again, the ability to be able to name number and num risk, as I call it, is an investing skill. Yeah. So some people would look at this asset and go, 7.2 million, 6.25% return. It's a bit on the low side. But when you can understand risk and price risk, you can strategically buy assets that should do well. There's no guarantee, but it's positioned for success. Beautiful. Hmm. Now, in the book, you talk about how you can substitute some of these ingredients. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So the ingredients are capital and return and time. So if you don't have much capital, you can make up with more return and more time. Or if you've got time and you've got capital, then maybe you can get a lower return. 
the one thing that is really hard to substitute out is time because the amount of capital and the amount of return you need to get for low periods of time makes it very, very hard. Got it. And these are outlined in Chapter 23 if you want some more information. Speaking of Chapter 23, you explain your no plan mm. plan in that Chapter 2. What is that? The old no plan plan. So this is <laughs> a sounds contradictory. simple set and forget, leisurely follow the path of prosperity and retire a multimillionaire. The secret is to start early though, and with the model, as outlined in the book, you start at age 25 yep. and follow the GDR 70-20-10 model, which is about giving deductions and the remainder and 70% applied to this and 20% to that and 10% left over. And if you just follow this model over time, it's mathematically proven to work for you. Love it. It's all in the book for those details. It's absolutely all in the book. Now, what if you're over 25? This is where it's harder because you'll have to make up those lost years in extra capital, which you might be able to do if you're earning more money or you can get that side hustle up and running and or extra return. But of course, the problem is if people chase return, they're also subjecting themselves to more risk. Mm. And before they do that, they need to increase their skill. Otherwise, they run the risk of being financially wiped out. So it's all about sort of making the most of the time we've got, yeah? It's all about making the most of the time and then making the most of capital and return. And if you don't have time, then it's never too late to tell someone else, but just be careful about having to take on extra risks you're not getting paid properly for. All right. And speaking of time, we're almost out of it. So is there anything you would like to add? Just an observation about how to get ahead with your investing, and that's to buy problems and sell solutions. Yep. A lot of time people don't want aggravation, so they buy solutions. The problem with buying a solution is you only usually get paid for time. If you can buy a problem and you can solve that problem and add more in perceived value than actual cost, yep. then you're also adding to your bottom line and putting money in your pocket. And by that, I mean more money is made from solving problems than it is from buying solutions. And remember this, the further you are from the problem, the further you are from the profit. And that said, if you're going to buy problems, then before you do, you've got to have the skills and the risk appetite to solve them. Or... I've seen it happen many times. People buy problems and they only get bigger and it just results in losses. Yeah, right. So get those skills. Go get those skills. All right, that's the end of Chapter 23. That's also the end of Part 3 of the book, mm-hmm. I think, which means that we're up to Part 4 next. And it's exciting because that's about how to make your money matter by adding meaning to it by using it for things that add significance in your life. Fantastic. Can't wait. Talk soon. Bye, Ro. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Money Magnet podcast. If you have questions or would like to provide feedback, then please send an email to podcast at moneymagnet.au.